having that ability for the foot to be able to feel the ground and then respond to that to develop in those first few months of walking is incredibly important. And the reason why, you know, a lot of the education out there is keep them barefoot when they're learning to walk, apart from, you know, protection from the elements. And that doesn't change either going forward. So when that kid goes into a cushioned shoe where they can't feel the ground at three, you'll notice a heavier stride because until that point, they've been so used to getting some feedback from the ground, feedback from their environment. And that sole of the foot is like another sense where if they're walking through an environment, they're seeing things, feeling things against their skin, hearing, smelling, tasting. And if that feedback from their foot is not matching up with what's coming into them from their environment otherwise, it's like confusing the nervous system. If they can see that they're on a hard gravelly surface but they're not feeling it, this is adding complexity to their ability to move that's not necessary. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast from the Foot Collective. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so we can all explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. Okay, hi everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I'm with Chloe May Bennett and Andy Bryant. And the topic we're going to dig into today is children's feet and children's shoes. So I thought this was a good conversation to dig into with the two of them because um, as uh, Chloe May was reviewing some children's shoes for us, and we started this project called the TFC's little TFC Little Paw Project, where we wanted to partner with shoe brands um, who are designing natural shoes for children's feet. And as you can imagine, that can be a very confusing topic, and I couldn't find a ton of information. And Andy Bryant um, is one of is an Andy Bryant and Chloe May Bennett are both natural podiatrists out of Australia, but they're also both parents, which is probably even more important than what they do for a living. But um, Chloe May has a two and a half year old, and Andy, you're is you're you have one girl. No, there's Lucy sixteen and Jeremy's fourteen. Okay, so you have Lucy and Jeremy, teenagers. Yeah. So yeah. we have a spectrum, not only of your 20 plus years experience in the field, Chloe May's background and her experience in the field. You're both parents of children with feet. And yeah. <laughs> uh, Andy has been, I think you have been, uh, you've been interviewed by the TFC Audio Project three times with Nick St. Louis, yeah. at least twice with Jim and Mac. And Chloe um, has been on one episode with Jim, episode 19 on podiatry, orthotics, and footwear. So I think we have a wealth of knowledge between the two of you. And so I wanted to just dig into the conversation about why talking about children's feet and their shoes are important. And let's just start there. Well, thanks for having us, Ruth. And good to chat with you, Chloe, mate. Yeah. Um, it's a huge. I think it's a hugely important topic because um, most mostly because if we start people people outright with their children's footwear, um, it it can translate to a lot. Well, it's untested, but a lifetime of better foot health and and better musculoskeletal health as well, like all the way up the chain. You know, so um, I think that's why it's so important to get this right to start with. So, yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I think the general consensus amongst parents, especially 
like in my daughter's current age group is that there's a lot of confusion out there. Obviously, as parents, we want to do the right thing for our kids. Um, so we want to make sure that we're, you know, finding the right information and everything. And I think the information that's out there, there's both sides of the argument out there. And it, it can be really confusing to navigate, I think, as a parent. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so here in Australia, uh, um, which is, might be different to other places, we have what's called a child maternal health care nurse. They have them in Queensland as well. Yep. And so this is someone that you take your um, newborn baby to and then like regularly checking in with this person that um, is helping you through the milestones. And they and paediatricians, and correct me if I'm wrong because it's a little while since um, I did this with my children, um, will be suggesting a, a wide, thin, flat, flexible shoe, like a very, a very minimalist shoe um, for all the right reasons. Um, our paediatricians say that, our podiatrists say that for those newborn walkers. And so we get, definitely in Australia, we get off to the right start with that, um, with that protocol that goes, go, goes forward. Yeah. It's the same, it's the same in um, the United States as well. Yeah. So the, the, like I was just talking with Chloe May before we started reporting about, it seems like pediatrics, which is kind of a different uh, division, yeah, uh, puts out the information. In fact, the 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 language was really interesting around like barefoot is best. Uh, any shoes that deform the feet are to be like I mean strong language around to be avoided at all yeah. costs. Really, just great information. And then when you switch to the division of podiatry, so pediatrics in the United States, pediatrics and podiatry are different. They're uh, different everywhere. That, pediatrics is children, podiatry is feet. So all good. Yeah. yeah it's good to get yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it, it's the same, right, with like <laughs> medicine is that we compartmentalize. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or we compartmentalize. Like you you are a little child with feet. Yeah. And, um, and that doesn't change once you start to walk. So it seems like there's a, a divide. And then once – so I guess maybe a good place to go would be like the confusion that I was having – was that like, when do, like, let's talk about the development of feet, right? So their little bones are kind of rubbery and they, they're developing. And then when do, when do you, did you put your children in shoes personally? When, what do you see across the spectrum of when and why people put their children in shoes and for what reasons? Um, I'd be curious to hear about that. Yeah. You go, Chloe, mate. You can talk about the development of feet. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. Um, so yeah, obviously when, when babies are born, they are majority cartilaginous um, through their feet and over the years they will gradually develop into bone. So, for example, even the navicular and the bone, like that doesn't start to form until the age of three. So there's still bones in the feet that haven't developed at all when a baby's born and the ones that are there are going to be cartilage that will gradually fuse to bone. And that process goes right up until around the age of 18 when we have our fully formed adult foot. Uh, the other thing we have to consider is that the, um, the connective tissue through the foot is also a lot softer when children are younger. And that will start to harden and as we get older, again, through to adolescent age. So all of those factors are going to influence how the foot looks in a child compared to what it looks like in an adult. And sometimes the thing that's forgotten is that we can't compare, directly compare a children's foot to an adult's foot because they're not 
they're not the same. They're going through a complete developmental change to get to that adult foot, but they're going to look different along the way. One thing I've sort of found looking through just general information that's out there on the internet is, like Andy said, you know, young kids, when they're new walking, barefoot's best, let them, you know, let the foot develop, all that sort of thing. The Where it sort of starts to shift a little bit, and we see this in the footwear industry as well, is that once kids get to about, say, maybe four to five years old, they tend, like the shoes just become little adult shoes. They become thick, chunky, supportive. And the stuff that you will read online is that now that the foot has started to develop and turn into bone, it needs to be supported. Um, And that's where things start getting really, I think, really confusing for people is that, well, why have we gone from um, barefoot style shoes, letting the foot develop naturally to all of a sudden shifting to mini adult shoes? Like it just, it doesn't really make sense. Why don't we continue just letting that foot um, continue to develop? Because it is developing, you know, right up until we are in our teenage years. And even beyond that can continue Mm. to adapt because our body's an adaptable thing. But I guess when it's a young foot, it can adapt even, it adapts, Good and bad very quickly because there's so much change happening. Um, yeah. And so if we go back to those babies, um, like a, a new walker, the shoe should only be protecting them from sharp things, hot and cold. And the, the reasoning for this that's well known, so it's worth talking about, because you do see some, you know, new walkers in supportive shoes. And so it's that's why it's worth discussing explaining why it's important that they're in a wide, thin and really flexible shoe um, because we want their foot to have every chance to develop naturally. It's good for their feedback, um, to, for their foot to feel the ground so they know where they are in space. They're an unstable thing. Their foot's very small compared to the rest of their body and, and it's got a, a big fatty pad in the arch which makes it look like it's flat so that it has a more surface area to feel the ground and to be more stable. And so... Um, all the reasons we would suggest a shoe that's um, natural for adults is is tenfold for those new walkers, and that's known and, and agreed upon. There are very few situations where that wouldn't be, and there, and there are some congenital things that we don't really need to discuss today. They're like they're very few and far between, and I think that's outside the scope of today's conversation. Um, so then, um, and I think it happens a little earlier than you've talked about. Clue, maybe maybe that's because you're influential amongst your peers with young two and a half year old children. Um, but I think if I go past a, a, a kinder, a kindergarten or a you know, childcare centre, and there's three year olds in there, they will be in their little Nikes, Asics, Brooks already um, when they're two or three, because that's what um, culturally, just like culturally, we know to put them in the minimal shoe when they're growing. Um, culturally, we are told that they need support from that point on. They need protection and support. And so, so they go into that shoe. And, and as, a, as a parent and a podiatrist with a different view, because I was very traditional when my kids were that age, um, my kids were in Tiptoey Joey's, which was, which, and that was a brand that it had fallen into. I've spoken to the guy that um, started them. They'd fallen into doing the right thing um, in terms of a minimalist shoe for babies. Um, but And then they would make an older shoe and they would change it. They'd put a heel in it and they'd put a tapered toe, but now they've seen the light, <laughs> um, the minimalist shoe light, and now they're making it that for all their shoes. 
because um, he had a conversation with Ray McClanahan and he explained, like, this needs to keep going on. Um, so my children were in that until they were, like, three or four, and then they went into the little ethics and I was making my own orthotics. So I'd make them orthotics when they were three or four because visually my children's feet are a bit more like their mother's feet and they've got a lower arch profile and they have um, their heels tip in and a little, which is just pronation. It's just a way of the foot functioning. It's perfectly normal and perfectly okay. It's just another, um, not whatever normal is, it's just another variation of a human foot. But um, mainstream podiatry and culture tells us that we should be all posturally straight and correct. And so my children were in that setup. Um, like I would send my wife to the shoe shop asking her to get a shoe that would only bend across the middle and be stiff here, and you know, like all the things that traditional podiatry would do. And so my kids were in those shoes until they were um, probably five or six and seven or eight. And, seven or eight. Um, and then I started seeing all this other stuff. And um, their feet still look the same, but now they're, they're fully in minimalist shoes and they function perfectly well without any issues, just with feet that aren't um, culturally looking perfect. And as podiatrists, we get a lot of people coming in because grandma or auntie or shoe shop or even um, protective parent said, oh, I'm worried about my kids' feet tipping in or their arch height or their knees tipping in and these types of things. And so a lot of it, my job in that situation is to show uh, – I, I get my assessment there is to show um, parents how functional their child is, like that they can jump, skip, hop, climb, do all these different things. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they're not in any pain and it's all fine. It's nothing to do with their foot shape. Just let's embrace this. And so um, that's like my little story and where I'm really passionate about and what I want to get across today is let's, what, what can we do to, um, to those two, three, four, five-year-olds to keep them in a shoe that keeps them, uh, their foot able to de develop in its own way without having the negative effect of what other shoes do? Like I think that's where, where we need to make the change. We're really good at babies and new walkers, but we're um, terrible from now on pretty much. So yeah. I have a question for both of you that I'm really curious about with regards to natural footwear for children and design, right? Because yeah. it seems to me that, and I guess this is kind of like calling the natural, I mean, shoe designing out, like not calling people out, but nest, but like being aware about if we're going to go down the rabbit hole of building a shoe for a child that there seems to be um, shoe lasts for children that have a heel to toe ramp in there that's about two to three millimeters that seems like standard. So I know like when I know like I love my Paluva shoes that are like five five finger Paluvas. When I first put them on, I had never been, since I've been wearing natural shoes, I had never been in a heel to toe ramp. I put them on, they felt good, but it was weird because I could feel a little lift. I could feel a little wedge. It turns out that there's probably like two to three millimeters in the adult shoe. And then when Clome did a review for this particular shoe, I started asking the shoe designer, uh, I didn't, I, I thought that because what, what they say is that the, it's a faux, it looks like that it's, it's ramped, but it's a faux outsole so that it kind of looks like a traditional shoe. So this is very confusing, right? Like my Paluvas have a faux look of a traditional shoe because maybe that's more aesthetically pleasing to the general public. And it seemed like this little shoe had the same, but when you dig a little bit deeper, the shoe lasts from the manufacturing company, I guess it's standard to put two to three millimeters in and call it 
zero drop. I'm not exactly sure, but this is like what it seems like. So with that little shoe, there was like excessive cushioning, it seemed like for a little foot, you know, a tiny little foot that big. And then that three millimeter heel to toe ramp was also exponentially excessive for a child who's a, a tiny person too, right? right? So, mm. so there's some confusion around that because it's marketed as a natural shoe. And many times the shoe designer thinks that it is because that's what they're being told when in fact, that's not what's happening. So I think it's an important conversation to have because the shoe industry, natural shoe industry is exploding right now. Yeah. Have you got, what do you say about that, Chloe, May? Yeah, I think anything that's a little change in a kid's shoe is going to have a big effect because the foot is so much smaller. So same goes for even the weight of a shoe. Like if we look at, you know, like Andy was talking about, like the little toddler shoes, like the little Nikes, Asics, those sorts of things, they're actually like, they're still quite a heavy shoe. And when you correlate that to an ad the equivalent of an adult shoe, they're actually really, really damn heavy for a kid to be pulling that around, you know, what's that going to do to them being able to, you know, walk around without tripping, for example, um, having that extra sort of weight and making it harder for them to sort of walk and run. Um, I think even something as small as a two to three millimeter lift, which, you know, maybe the general public wouldn't bat an eyelid usually um, compared to if you've, you know, been in um, natural minimalist shoes for a number of years, you know, you'd notice those smaller differences, but in a in a child, I think it's a it's a big a big change for such a small foot. It's just, it's just not necessary, mm. and so there's no need to have it. But I think the history of it coming in, and I think this is why, if we go back to why those three year olds are going into little Nikes, it's almost like you prepare. It's like you send your kids to school so they get good at sitting down, so they can do a job where they're sitting down all day. You know, like. Um, or they, you put them in a uniform so they end up wearing a suit because this is how culture now, industrialised culture, moves us through to being little little adults, you know. So um, I think the only benefit from wearing a, a heeled, cushioned, stiff, tapered shoe is that you get your feet prepared to wear that for the rest of your life, you know. So, so um, And so if we go back to that, from from that, an adult shoe manufacturer has a set construct of the shoe. It'll have a heel cup. It has a heel-to-toe drop. Like the last has a heel-to-toe drop built in. They use these last. The last are the expensive part about manufacturing a, pair, a new pair of shoes. And so it just about if you speak to any minimalist shoe startup, they've gone to a normal shoe factory and they've all been told, oh, no, you need to have a heel cup. Um, that's how we make shoes. Oh, no, you need to have a heel-to-toe drop. That's how we make shoes. And so that this is the, the headache of, where, of making minimal shoes because if you go to a conventional shoe shop, a shoe manufacturer they're designed, that have been making adult shoes, then they need to go – they just do mini versions of an adult shoe. We don't like the adult shoe anyway, and so that's what your child is going to be in. Because I think the minimal shoe for babies have been – um, concertedly made different, but once you're looking at a, a three-year-old on, um, they're just making mini adult shoes. So I think that's the reason why it happens, because the factory is just set up to tool to build shoes like that, which is totally um, just dysfunctional. Like the idea of a heel comes about because we don't want to slip our foot through the stirrup. 
of a horse, riding a horse. And the idea of a tapered um, shoe comes to get that foot through a, a stirrup of a horse. So there's no need to have these things on, on a child's foot. Or the idea of heel in a cushion in a cushion shoe is to help people who overstride when they're running, like 60 years ago in a running boom. Like that's why they built cushioning and heels into running shoes. So there's just no need for it in a human foot. It's not even, it's, there's no benefit to it in the healthy human foot. And so um, I just think it comes about because of the manufacturing processes. And so if someone wants to make a minimalist shoe, they need to really dive into what's going on there. And I helped with Paluva um, when they're in that process. And I'm like, you've got to make sure it's zero drop because if you don't make it zero drop, you will lose that part of the market. They're not really after the minimalist shoe market. They're after a market that don't want to wear minimalist shoes. They want um, a market because that's a bigger market. You know, They want a market that don't mind a bit of cushioning, that don't mind a little bit of heel lift. And they also talk about the heel lift being compressed. And Ultra talk about this as well. They um, say when you have a cushion in a shoe, because then it's not a pure minimalist shoe, that when your heel hits the ground, it will compress and it almost becomes a, a zero drop, like there's like a, a movement range. So well, there's I a lot. I find that to be true with the Palubas. I play tennis in those. And yeah. They work, they work great, but they're a tool for a certain sport. And then That's right, yeah. But you compress. And I mean, I just, I think I started asking myself, questions like, am I having a blind spot? Am I being too rigid in my thinking? Because I yeah. have been wearing those that I think it's, I think Beluva says it's like one to two millimeters. I yeah. never noticed it one time. And then I haven't had my, my feet and my knees and everything that usually hurts feels great when I play. So I was thinking that I must be like being too rigid until it comes to the children's shoes where there's just like this blurring line. And I guess the last in order to create a truly zero drop last is rather expensive is what I'm gathering, right? So yeah. when a natural shoe company wants to design a shoe that is truly zero drop, then I'm in, I must, tell me if I'm wrong, but like you must be incurring an extra expense to create that last the way that you want it. Yeah, it's very expensive, I think, very expensive. And, and this is where the minimalist shoe, um, like our world of, of um, being like natural podiatrists and in this move, movement of natural footwear, is like, and especially in today's social media, everyone loves black and white, but it doesn't have to be black and white. And it's okay. Like having a little um, heel for most humans is also okay. Our bodies are highly adaptive and um, it's not going to break you because you're wearing a little heel. And, you know, there are billions of people walking around in heeled shoes that don't have foot pain. And we do focus on the ones that do have foot pain and put it down to the fact that they're in a heel or they're in a tapered shoe. But the human body is highly adaptable, um, but also can be super sensitive. Like you'll notice the two mils, like similarly, like I'm, if I'm on my bike and someone's moved the saddle half a centimeter, I know about that half a centimeter because I'm so in tune with that position. And so um, we can become overly sensitive and, and yeah. I, I'm all for creating a, a body and fo the Foot Collective talk about this perfectly and feet that have foot freedom. And that means being able to just do what you want because your feet are up to it and, and you can do it in any shoe pretty much. Um, you don't, you're not needing your orthotic and your shoe and your heel shoe because, you know, like, and so that's the goal for my clients. That's for, and I think with kids, they're more likely to have that happen if we just let their foot develop um, naturally. Because if you start putting them in a heel and cushioning and stiffness from an early age, they just get accustomed to it. And then it's like 
the biggest issue with minimalist footwear is people transitioning. No one, we wouldn't have a transitional argument if if nev, people never left their minimalist footwear. Maybe yeah. everyone starts in minimalist footwear and then they until they're three, and then they develop for the next fifteen years in conventional footwear, and then have all the trouble going back to minimalist footwear. Then we would. We, um, I would say Chloe May and I would be almost out of a job if we <laughs> all stayed in minimalist footwear throughout. You know, like mm-hmm. we would have yeah. far more function, um, functional feet in in our society. I don't know how I got into that, but you know. <laughs> no, it's true though. It is true. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health. But if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual, packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, the five F's for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. No, it's true though. It is true. And Pip talks a lot about that. Like if it, the idea is to put ourselves out of business, you know, because yeah. we are helping people to educate, to get educated about what they can do to be healthy from the, starting with your feet. And yeah. I guess my, um, I guess Chloe May and Andy, I wanted to talk to you then like, about so we at, at the Foot Collective we use the five F criteria yeah. to like determine the range and we're we're adamant about saying that like there's no right or wrong right it's just a spectrum and where do you what are you using your shoes for tools wise and like what are you trying to get what do you what are your goals for using your your awesome human machine and what do you want to do with your feet and then how are you going to choose your tools like your shoes accordingly. So we talk about the five F's and, and in in adult shoes, like there's a spectrum for whatever people need, right. Depending on the climate, depending on the, you know, uh, what they're doing with the shoes. And like, I use Palubas for tennis and go barefoot 88% of the time other than that. But like for children um, who can't feel or really tell you that, especially kids that are like maybe pre-verbal, right? So like they can't tell you if their feet are uncomfortable or they don't even really know their little bodies yet. And we put them in shoes um, when they start walking and they can't describe to you like if they're uncomfortable or their toes are squished or anything. You can kind of get some signs when they just start pulling them off in the grocery store and flinging them and stuff, right? <laughs> Which is my favorite thing to see. Yeah, um, it, it, uh, But do we have like, I guess like some parameters, like what about that three mil lift in the last, like what about the cushion? Like what about the flexibility? So like in, in the adult shoes, we talk about the foot shape being the widest at the tips of the toes, not at the um, forefoot being like a truly functional, healthy, natural shoe to give your toes the most play possible and, and room. But what about for kids feet? Like, do we have any 
preferences or what do you think about like the criteria for what would be a, a great shoe? Is it foot shaped? What, how important is that heel to toe drop or being completely neutral? What is that? Look, I think for me personally, I think all of the aspects of the fives if, ifs are super important for kids, particularly because they're not able to communicate. Um, like my daughter now is able to communicate with me around, you know, feel of things and everything like that. Like she'll now tell me if her, you know, if her shoes are too small, if they're feeling tight or uncomfortable, that sort of thing. Um, so I think in that respect, I, I would lean more towards the fact that every aspect of it is important, but especially the fit of the shoe. And that's purely because kids' feet grow so fast. Um, and again, you know, when they're younger, they're not able to communicate that when they are ready to go up a size. So when we think about kids' feet developing, like between the ages of one and three, that foot growth can be 1.5 mils every month. So it's it's quite a rapid rate, you know, that we need to be checking. Like I personally will check my daughter's shoes like every month, no more than every two months to make sure that they're still fitting her properly. Um, and I think that's a that's definitely a big thing that has also been researched quite heavily as well is having shoes that are too short in particular on, on children's feet and the effect that that can have sort of ongoing. Um so I think for me personally, like my biggest thing is the the fit of the shoe, making sure length, width, depth and everything is all appropriate for the size of their foot. But I think in terms of the five Fs, I still want to make sure I'm getting all of those factors in a kid's shoe for let's sure. Go through the, let's go through the five Fs and, and, and just talk about that. Yeah. You, you list them, Ruth, and I'll then we'll discuss them individually. Okay, so first is foot-shaped, and yeah. let's just describe foot-shaped because it seems that there's even confusion around that, right? So, like, a wide toe box is no longer enough to discuss about a shoe being foot-shaped, right? So it has, has to be widest for me, personally. It has to yeah. be widest at the very tips of all of my toes. I have a very square foot, and the minute if it's wide at the, um, at the forefoot or the midfoot, it's not enough. It has to look like a weird little duck foot shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and children, children, babies' feet are different from the next baby's foot as well. Like it's not like they all come out the same and then start changing. And so, it's important to make sure the shoe fits the foot. And we're spoiled now. There's so many barefoot shoe brands, and there's so many good online fitting guides that there's pretty much no excuse. If you've got a kid with really fat midfoot, make sure there's space around that midfoot. If you've got a kid with, you know, like a skinny heel, get a shoe that's got something that is um, that shape as well. So I think, yeah, so that's um, that's foot-shaped. And then what is there? there's one that's fastening, isn't there? So, yep. the, so the next one after foot-shaped is flat. Flat, yep. So we've, so we've discussed that, that two to three mil in a, in a foot that's only like eight centimetres long is more than two to three mils, like it's a bigger effect than two to three mils in someone that's 25 centimetres long. Like it's a scaling effect. And so that's going to make it, and, and they're not heavy. So they're not going to squash the material as much either. And so um, to be flat is important. That helps with correct ankle development, like structural development, to give them the sense of space. You don't want them to be feeling like they're tipping forward or being used to the feeling of their tipping forward. You know, yeah. so that's definitely worthwhile, yeah. And children yeah. are always going to grow out of a shoe before they wear it out as yeah. well. Yeah. 
yeah. so expensive for the parents. Um, but parents know how to negotiate with other parents and websites, yeah. book groups and stores and yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the next one is flat or flexible rather, flexible. Like, so um, you speak of this, Chloe, man, you go, we'll yeah. take it in turns, yeah. Um, no, flexible's incredibly important. So being able to let the foot actually move the way it's designed to, you know, we we have all of those bones and joints in our foot for a reason. You know, they're designed to move. They're not designed to be held stiff in one position. Um, so being able to twist the shoe up, being able to let it move without without any restriction, essentially, through the through the middle of the shoe. And those bones are, like um, Chloe made, mentioned before, are cartilaginous. So they're still just um, pieces of gristle, you know, and then they're becoming bone. They become bone and they get strong where there's load. And so if your foot is not loaded, um, if your body's not feeling the load, it's not going to develop the way it was designed to. So that's why you want your child in a shoe that's flexible so it's the foot is taking on all these different aspects of load as it develops. It's like unbelievably critical. It's not fully bone until they're 18. So this is happening like right through that phase. Um, Courtney uh, Conley was speaking the other day about a part of the inside of the ankle that really develops up until the age of eight and how important that little, there's a little groove there that attaches onto a muscle and it's so important that that muscle gets a strong attachment and that happens if you've let the foot feel everything, you know, whereas if you, uh, not feel everything, um, move, whereas if your foot is not moving, you're not getting that strong muscular attachment to the bone. So, um, that's that flexible is so super important in terms of um, the kid's foot. Yep. Next, yeah. Next is feel. So feel is another way of saying how much cushion between the ba- the bottom of the actual sole of the foot and yeah. the ground. Yeah. Give it to us. Go for it, Chloe. You go. This, this I found quite interesting. I sort of almost tested it out a little bit with my daughter when she was learning to walk. So she was about... 11 months when she started walking um, and obviously we, we kept her predominantly bare feet for that time um, but we did happen to have some sample shoes of various brands lying around um, some obviously being very very thin with no sort of cushion underneath and others having a little bit more um, and the just watching her try and maneuver walking and having something that gave her less ground feel made her trip over more. And, I mean, yes, that's an N equals one type situation. But um, fascinating to watch the difference between having a child who's newly walking going from completely barefoot to a minimalist shoe that has very little underneath it so they're still getting that ground feel compared to a shoe that then has a tiny bit more. And, I mean, you know, in a kid's shoe it can be as little as just a few mils that makes that difference as well, again, because the feet are so small. Um, but having that ability for the foot to be able to feel the ground and then respond to that to develop in those first few months of walking is incredibly important. And the reason why, you know, a lot of the education out there is keep them barefoot when they're learning to walk, you know, apart from, you know, protection from the elements, etc. And, and that doesn't change either going forward. So when that kid goes into a cushioned shoe where they can't feel the ground at three, you'll yeah. you'll notice a um, a heavier stride because until that point they've been so used to um, getting some feedback from the ground, to, 
feedback from their environment. And that sole of the foot is like another sense where if they're walking through an environment, they're seeing things, feeling things against their skin, hearing, smelling, tasting. And, and if the feedback from their foot is not matching up with what's coming into them from their environment otherwise, like if, they're, if they can see that they're on a hard um, gravelly surface but they're not feeling it, this is uh, uh, adding complexity to their ability to move that's not necessary. It's actually making it – it's like confusing the nervous system. Like our foot is meant to feel – and match up with what else is going on. And then as they develop, and, and, and the analogy or the mental image that I love to talk about here is of um, a group of 10-year-old boys running up and down a basketball court. They've all got their Nike Air Jordans on. Like it, just about every child is, is, is running around in that shoe when they're on the basketball court. This is on like a Saturday morning they're playing sport. And you go into one of those stadiums and it's like a herd of elephants going up and down a basketball court. There's, there's 10 of them because there's five on each team running, racing up and down, bang, 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 bang. And then you watch those same children. You could get the same, very same 10 children and you take them to the swimming pool that afternoon. It's a warm summer afternoon. And there's a sign up saying don't run, but someone's got, you know, some icy poles at the other end of the pool. And you ask those 10-year-olds to get to the other end of the pool as quickly as possible you will not hear a thing. They are light as feathers on a concrete surface with bare feet. Yeah. So the, the, the ability to feel the ground makes them change the way they move from within a five-hour period pretty much. It, uh, and I've even seen it on a treadmill with someone that doesn't didn't know this theory when they put on a minimalist shoe um, and then put on a pair of shoes with cushioning and it changes their stride because your brain goes, oh, this is going to hurt if I land like I usually land, you know? And so um, if we... Um, have our children learning poor running mechanics or poor moving mechanics, not just running, um, because they can't feel the ground. This is why having that thin sole is so, so, so important. Um, and my son's a good example. He was playing um, when I was getting to minimalist shoes. I got him a pair of Converse cons because if you go back to 1980, every basketballer was running around in Converse, Chuck Taylors. They, didn't, they have a minimal amount of cushioning. They're like a sand shoe. They're the sand shoe of the time. Like, if you go back to runners in like the early 60s, they were running around in sand shoes as well, like um, Chuck, Chuck Taylor shoes. But then, you know, um, the running boom came in and we got cushioned into our shoes. And then Nike wanted to get into basketball. So they put um, Michael Jordan in the early 80s into a cushioned basketball shoe. And now every, every basketballer needs a cushion on his shoe. But until 1980, everyone was running around and performing at an elite level in a shoe with very little cushioning and no ankle support and nice and light on their feet. And so, yeah, my son, when he was about, when he started into minimal shoes, I've got him in Chuck Taylor's and he was light on his feet. And then he went into Vivo's around a basketball court. And I get this asked a lot. My kid's in Vivo's all the time, but now he's playing basketball, mostly from mums. I don't want him, they'll say, I don't want him to go into those um, heavy shoes, but his dad's worried about his feet. Um, and I'm just like, so I, that's when I use that swimming pool analogy. And, um, and, and ask them to notice how your son or daughter runs up and down that basketball court compared to the other kids. And invariably, they're the fastest, they're the most agile, and they're not complaining. Their foot is just doing what it's meant to do. Basketball is a great environment for the foot moving in variable ways, even though the surface is all um, very level. And so um, as long as you can, keep them in that shoe that lets them just let, lets them move the way they're meant to. I know one basketball team, they're all in vivos because the best player, his mum is an expediteress that um, takes all this on board and is very influential amongst the team. The team moves very well. That's so great. Yeah. Well, that 
that's one of the reasons why it's important to talk about sports too, right? Because yeah. that's where uh, culture comes together, like in the space of public appearance where we, where there's influence and it makes sense because you want to have your child do well and such. So, um, so that's great. I wanted to say that the, when you were talking about the swimming pool analogy with yeah. the, and the basketball court, it reminded me conversely of something that we saw at a picnic or something. I remember I just had this flashback of like this little child, probably maybe three or four, who clearly didn't have a lot of, uh, of variations of inputs into their little feet and would not walk on the grass, had to be like, you know how like the two parents will hold the kid and they'll hold their feet up, would not want their little feet to touch the grass. Like could it couldn't the child couldn't understand about the texture of the grass. So it's interesting about like the shoes and the, and the inputs, right? Like the said principle that we talk about at the foot collective, like those adaptations to the inputs that we give our bodies and then their little feet being exposed to, you know, all the different textures, the gravels, the grass, and, and which is also like the pleasure of being a human too, you know? Um, and then the other thing I wanted to, well, this will be after the fifth F, which is fixed. So we can't forget fixed. So yeah. not fixed. What's all that about? It's so important because um, you've got to have the foot um, not having to hold the shoe on. So when your foot comes through the air, we need the, the shoe to stay on the foot. Otherwise, you have to start clawing or it becomes less stable. Um, and, and you do see kids in slides and thongs, and that's okay if you're just going like from the car to the pool or whatever but um really having having it to, having something to hold them on if they're doing any time on their feet like long periods of time is unbelievably important yeah would you agree well, well, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and tripping as well you know having a shoe that stays on the foot that they're not going to trip over and that's what you'll see with something like a yeah like a little slide or a little flip-flop type shoe so does the fixed part of those five f's come into play because you want your you want to be able to have a natural gait? I mean, because like, I, I, this is one of the ones I'm a little confused on. I mean, I know I don't like to wear um, flip-flops or thongs or anything where where my heel, where I have to clench my toes to keep my feet on, but is it is it as much, I mean, because it just sort of goes in opposition to what your foot would naturally do as you're walking or running, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's how I'd say it as well, yeah. Mm. So when the feet are, when the toes are supposed to be going up, they're clawing down. I mean, yeah. just for people who have never, because a lot of this information is pretty heady for parents and people in general who just have been in traditional shoes or exposed to only traditional shoes. This is a lot of academic kind of information, you know? Yeah. Um, and then this may be a little bit out of like, this is out of context, but, you know, we can't talk about the feet without talking about the hips. Yeah. So when it comes to, I, mean, I just was thinking about like when it comes to little feet, um, when they have like those big puffy diapers on. <laughs> so like I noticed that I have I have a group of moms who are my friends who are who keep their children like barefoot and like had little tiny cloth diapers on. And then I have this other contingent of moms who want their kids in regular shoes because they're cute and they need to be dressed and then they have like these big old diapers on which I realized kind of affects the way that their hips move and the little kids that wear like a cloth or a very soft little diaper where their hips are 
it's the same thing. Like their hips have a different natural way of moving. They are like the most amazing little surfer athletes at like age five, their hips and their, they just have like this more embodied sense of how they move. So I don't know if you had any feedback about like feet. I know that your realm is podiatry, but really like the hips too, right? Even when we're talking about little kids and like what we expose them to as far as like clothing and shoes and stuff. I guess like they're not dolls, they're humans. As a parent, I was not thinking about this at all, so I can't really speak of it. But um, if I was a new parent again, I'd be definitely thinking about it. But um, Chloe, mate, you've got the real life thing version there. Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, we were were a cloth nappy family um, and it's definitely something that I, that crossed my mind. by having, you know, having like the bigger, obviously the bigger cloth um, nappies on. And um, there honestly is not much out there to educate, even research-wise, to educate around does it have an effect, um, that sort of thing. The way I sort of looked at it is that when we put babies in a baby carrier, we want their hips sort of flexed up and abducted outwards to get their hips in that nice position because obviously the hips are very much developing um and the way i looked at it was that the nappy was that well the cloth nappy in particular was sort of creating that that sort of position as well without them being sort of too tucked in and tight um obviously it's you know hasn't had any effect on on our daughter growing up and um there's no research to suggest that it would have an effect either um the big thing we've got to think about as well with kids lower limb development in general as well as their knees because their knees do go through a big change um, as they are developing and that in turn will affect how the foot sort of presents itself too. So for example my daughter is two and a half so she's going from the stage where naturally her knee will go from being in a straight position to be going into knock knees so she's starting to get a little bit of that knock knee positioning happening which in turn is obviously then making her foot look a little bit lower as well and I think a lot of that development stuff is about understanding what is to be expected for the age group and also knowing when to seek advice as well like if the you know if the knee position is falling well outside the expected age range is knowing when to go to someone and say hey does this need to be investigated further Um, I get a lot of people you know come and go oh gosh you know my kid's got knock knees and you know, they're right in the age category for having, for wanting to have knock knees because that's what the knee needs for each side of the knee to develop too. So, bit of a sidetrack there, but no, um, really, the knees, the knees no, are also yeah. important. No, I'm, really glad, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I wanted to touch on um, this idea, this yeah. exact idea that um, there's a phase for everything. You know, the hips come out. Yeah. When, when the baby comes out, the hips are externally rotated and they go into this internal rotation and external rotation. Yeah. And we generally see people when they're internally rotated because then we're seeing the foot fo- um, move in that way as well. Mm. And so for parents listening out there, like this, these are, these are normal um uh, normal movements and that are meant to be happening, that there's this rotational thing going on. Yeah. And really, you, um, and this is what I, I would have learned from the, the Foot Collective way of thinking, you want to expose the body, the, the growing body, to all those ranges and to be using those ranges of motion as they're growing. So it gives the body the options to use them. And and even if they end up with knees that are still um, 
slightly knock or out or both. Like there's all these different variations that are still within the normal realm and they don't tend to mean that you're more likely to get an injury or, or a certain type of injury. They, it's just whether you can control and adapt to different movement and the best way to be able to do that is to have been doing different movement all, all, all the way along. So I often be um, suggesting like um, activities that the child can get involved in and with the family that are exposing the body to all these different realms as opposed to um, one activity like, oh, my child's a runner, you know, at seven, yeah. oh, they're going to be an Olympic champion. And, and if we look now, there's really good research showing that if they don't become sport specific until they're about 16, they have a lot less injuries and a lot healthier bodies going forward like as athletes and then after being an athlete if they haven't become sport specific till about 16. And so... That's where I'm suggesting, you know, joining the climbing climbing gym, going on, just going and playing at the park with your kids, um, spending time on the floor, playing with your kids on the floor so that they get used to being on the floor because this is exposing your body to all those different um, movements and making them um, comfortable with those movements. Um, a lot of the martial arts are and dance and dance sports or dancing or gymnastics are all moving the body in more than one plane that make it um, – more adaptable and more comfortable with those different growing um, ranges. So, you know, that, that, that's my take home when people come to see me worried about the shape of their kids' knees, feet, hips. It's like let's expose this shape to all the ranges of motion through regular activity. And, yeah. and that then um, leads to a body that is adaptable and free to do what it wants. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're psychologically not going to get burned out too. Um, yeah. which happens a lot when, when children are put into sports specific activities and in one thing until, you know, besides injuries, they just don't, they don't, they don't love to play as much anymore. Yeah. It's rare. I see that happening a lot. Listen, I want to respect the, your time, Andy and Chloe May, and this might be a good place to stop. I think this, I think this is a great conversation. <laughs> great conversation. Um, so do you have any closing, anything to say before we stop recording? Or maybe we can do it again sometime. Sometimes this type of conversation brings up more questions than answers, I think. Like people might be a bit um, more confused. But I guess the take-home message is um, that you don't really never – there's very few situations where your feet ever really need support, especially mm -hmm. if, they've never, if they've never had it. It's, the issues come when you give it, give the support or give, you know, and then you take it away. That's when we're more likely to have issues. That would be like my overwhelming thing. And to keep and to live those movement-rich lifestyles that expose the body to all the different things. That that's, would be my take-home message for people um, who are worried about their children's feet. Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've, you've absolutely nailed it there, Andy, is just, yeah, getting started with, um, you know, barefoot or minimalist shoes from the get-go is going to set the kids up in the best way possible, really. Okay, well, thank you both for joining us and we'll catch you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.